Well, I'm Jules. And I'm Sophia. And this is... The Austin Archives. Getting good at that. Dual speaking. Oh, yeah. Uh, just to, I guess, reiterate for a couple more times, we're still looking at Jane Austen's Sense and Sensibility. She wrote it way back in the day in 1811, at least the first published book of hers. At the time, published under a lady, and then later as Jane Austen, the one, the only, the best. And then, gosh, usually we also remind all of y'all and ourselves that uh, in canon, Eleanor is supposed to be 19. Marianne is supposed to be 16 or 16 and a half. And Margaret is 13 years old. And yeah, I think that kind of sums it up. The movie we watched for this week is From Prada to Nada. Um, 2011 movie. Um, it is described as a Latina spin on Jane Austen's Sense and Sensibility. Um, where two spoiled sisters who have been left penniless after their father's sudden death are forced to move in with their estranged aunt in East Los Angeles. <laughs> um, and then this is actually pretty funny. The cast has some pretty big names. Um, like uh, Camilla Bell plays Nora, who is Eleanor. And by the way, there's no question about who's who. Oh, yeah, no, not at all. <laughs> And Alexa Pina Vega uh, plays Mary, who is Marianne. And then um, Nicholas D'Agosto is Edward Ferris. And then Wilder Valderrama is Colonel Brandon, (laughs) which I could not get over for the entire movie, I just want to say. Okay, so our quote um, for this week from the book um, is by Eleanor in Chapter 17. Um, She says, sometimes one is guided by what they say of themselves and very frequently by what other people say of them without giving oneself time to deliberate and judge. And, I mean, we, we see that with Mary and we see that with Nora I I really enjoyed this movie. Yeah, I actually, this is probably my like third or fourth time rewatching this. I just very much enjoy it. Yeah, I mean, I definitely had my issues with it, and you know, and it, it, we'll get into that later. But I do just want to say, as like a precursor to all of this, that um, I I thought this was. First of all, it was a great celebration, I think, of the Latina culture and particularly the Mexican culture. But it also kind of spoke to the struggles of, you know, the two sisters, just as kind of a background. They live in Beverly Hills. Their father is like, well, he's he acts like he's super rich. Um, and so they kind of they don't speak Spanish 
like Mary you know, denies that she's Mexican several times and says that she's just American. Um, but by the end of the film, we see them really embracing their culture and kind of learning to love it. Um, and I thought that that was just a really beautiful part of the story that, that I really enjoyed. Um, yeah, I, I'll say very much the same thing. I really loved how this movie was very much uh, Latina or Latinx and just like pretty much all of the movie except for Edward and um, the sister was all people of color. And I really loved that whole concept in terms of how to adapt, uh, you know, a pretty, not even pretty, very famous book like Sense of Sensibility. It's like really integrating it into this other culture and this other story. And I, oh, I really enjoy it. It's great. Yeah, and it's so funny because they, like, they moved to what they call the barrio, which is East L.A. Um, <laughs> and it's like they arrive, they, they move in with their aunt um, after they're, you know, basically kicked out of their father's house. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, they arrive and, like, I, I, can't, I can't tell if it's her friend or her cousin who's, like, you don't you don't speak Spanish and they're like no and she's like you grew up in LA and then later on in the film like Edward starts speaking Spanish and Nora's like you 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 speak Spanish and he was like yeah I grew up in LA (laughs) it's just like I thought that was a really funny like running joke yeah same yeah yeah they got there eventually They, they started learning some Spanish in the movie yeah, like, Mary has this really touching scene where she and Nora are, like, you know, Nora's working on her case, and Mary is, you know, studying, because uh, she goes back to get her degree, and uh, they they can hear the song coming in through the window, and Mary starts singing along. Mm-hmm. Nora's like, you know the words? And she was like, yeah, but I don't necessarily know what they mean. And then Nora starts translating, and it's just like this turning point where they're starting to embrace their heritage. And I just thought that was, that was a great scene too, especially because, and this is, I guess, one of the complaints that I have that we can go into later, but like the relationship with the sisters runs extremely hot and cold. Mm -hmm. True. And I mean, I think that's, you know, that's possible. And I think does frequently happen with sisters, but the, the way that it's paced, uh, is just super weird for me and the way that it happens is super weird for me too. Um, so, but I don't know, we can, we can go into that later. We could, I don't know. We're kind of like all over the place in terms of how we talk about things, but I, I would agree with the, um, the sisterly dynamics. I feel like, you know, I can't really speak all the way to sibling culture cause I'm an only child, but from what I know of sibling culture, the way that they were acting in terms of like being close and then pushing each other away and then finding closeness again, kind of repeating in a couple different times over in this film felt pretty realistic to what I know about sibling culture. Um, but there was some like pretty intense heated moments that I was like, oof. Like there was this moment where um, Mary had just come back 
with Rodrigo, the Willoughby of the piece. And Nora just kind of like swoops her over to like the side of the house and basically asks, you know, what what are your intentions with this man? And we have this really interesting discussion about, uh, you know, basically Mary is re- replying that she's really in it to get back to uh, Beverly Hills and not necessarily in it for the person or the romance aspect of it, which is kind of icky in itself. And so, you know, basically Nora, not even basically, Nora calls Mary a whore, and then Mary calls Nora a spinster, and they, like, depart from each other. That was the scene that was just like, oof, y'all, that's intense. Yeah, I mean, and that, that scene was really, that was actually the scene that I was really thinking about um, when I was talking about the sisterly relationship, mostly because, you know, like, we, we saw them fighting in the beginning of the film, but that felt really organic to me, like, oh my goodness, you, you know, like, you're moving too slow, or whatever, and, you know, she's like, you're always late, um, and then it's like, it starts out of this place of sisterly concern for Nora, because it's clear that, Mary slept over with this guy and so she's like how much do you really know about him and uh, and you know what if you want to have casual sex like go ahead but she's Mm -hmm. talking about moving in with him and it's been like three weeks and I'm like okay that that you you know let's think about that (laughs) um yeah but Mary like it does love him you know like she like it's been shown in the movie that she's not in it just for his money because like she's just enchanted by him you know like and that's how the scene like she's he when he's talking about that book she's just completely mesmerized Mm, so I didn't buy that argument from her and I was like that's a weird argument to make but Mm -hmm. then her sister just calling her a whore I'm like there's nothing leading up to this like their relationship at I mean at that point has been good and that just seems like it went from zero to 60 for me like usually there's some build-up where they're snapping at each other and then that's like the catalyst but there was really nothing nothing there you know except that I guess that happened like right after Nora had kissed Edward and had messed it all up yeah I mean that's not as an, an excuse though but it is an explanation yeah I mean I just I don't know if it was a good enough one for me to buy that that is what would happen especially because we we saw them getting actually even closer mm-hmm. after that you know so right yeah I don't know but it then, made sense and it didn't at the same time it was just kind of it was doing a lot yeah, I guess, I mean, and maybe this is just me, but the word, to call someone a whore, that's, you know, that's pretty intense. That's not something nope. that I would ever use, like, even in a moment of anger, you know. We do not slut shame in this house. <laughs> yeah, same, same. Why Why would we call people that? Yeah. Don't like the word. It only serves the patriarchy. Call it off. Yeah. Let's not. Let's not. 
So I don't know. That was that was my thought on their their relationship. Mm-hmm. I guess like in terms of the kind of that and it was so weird because like I was totally buying the relationship up until that point and then that happens and then they stop speaking to each other mm-hmm. but then they come back together and then I start buying their relationship again. <laughs> you know? But it's like there's no real makeup scene. It's just like all of a sudden they they start talking to each other. And like I guess that's not as surprising to me, but like for me like cuz I, I even I've had that happen with my own sister, you know, where we've been mad at each other and then just pretended like we didn't want to acknowledge the fight anymore. But mm, sure. Calling someone a whore is such a big deal for me that I feel like we'd have to be like, no, I need an apology for this, you know? Sure. I mean, that would make sense to me. I yeah. feel like, you know, the the antithesis, I guess, of them coming back together after the name calling, we'll just say that for now, is that uh, they get the letter in the mail from, I don't know, somebody that Edward is engaged in having this party. And at first, you know, Nora is just kind of like, you know, let's just eat. It's fine. And then just like starts picking up the spoon and just breaks down. And so, you know, it's the scene of Mary coming after her and just checking in that is kind of uh, them coming back together. And I guess, I don't know, to me, it kind of made sense that they wouldn't necessarily bringing up the the reason why they were fighting. It was just more of like a, hey, I see that you're upset and I know why you're upset and I'm just here to support you. Yeah. Yeah, I, and I guess I guess I can see that. It was just kind of like, I don't know, it was such a shock to my system, especially because that was such... This is supposed to be a lighthearted romantic comedy, and that moment was not a lighthearted romantic comedy moment. <laughs> sure. Fair. But yeah, it's Olivia that sends the engagement... Uh, engagement invitation to them, and she's like, oh, I didn't think you'd show up, because she's just been like evil the entire movie but okay so I'm gonna say this that is actually one of the things that I loved is that like the character that plays their brother John whose name is Gabriel Dominguez Jr. in this um he leaves Olivia when he realizes kind of for one how important his family is you know and two, realizes that she's never going to be accepting of this family that he wants to be a part of. Mm-hmm. And he makes that decision that his sisters are more important to him than his evil, you know, witch of a wife. <laughs> yeah, she's so. just really just not nice is what that is throughout this whole entire movie. And I think just like something I really appreciate about this movie, one of the things, I guess, is just how family is so important and threaded through all of this movie and how those connections are like so integral to how they like every character is moving through um their relationships in space with one another and yeah just really enjoy that and you know um the 
strong character, Gabe, in this movie, choosing family over um, the Dominguez family in general. Anyways, Dominguez family over his wife, who is really just not a nice person and is not in it for the family. She's just kind of in it for herself. But it was like, all right, that's a cool move. Yeah, well, I mean, it's not even for herself. Like, she's clearly in it for the money, right? Oh, like, yeah. she doesn't want to share, which is typical Fanny. She <laughs> does not want to share the anything that the they get from the dad's death. Sure. We have that moment when he's reading the will, and he's like, yeah, you, you guys aren't really getting anything. And she's like, what? Which I thought was very fanny. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, of course, her name is Olivia in this. It's so funny because the only character that keeps his name is Edward Ferris. And I'm just like, I'm wondering why that is. Well, Lucy, well, I guess the first name of Lucy, anyways, is still. Oh, yeah, that's true. I, But I forget, I, even, I kind of even forget that she existed in this, honestly, because she's in, what, like, three scenes, you know? Yeah, maybe three. For sure. At least two. Yeah, but then she ends up engaged to Edward, and I'm like, that came out of nowhere. Like, listen, I've had my heart broken before by, like, you know, romantic partners, but I've never immediately wanted to turn around and get engaged to forget about that. You know what I mean? Yeah, sure. Yeah, I think even... um... Mary had that reaction of just like, if he's getting engaged, he's even more confused than you, Nora. I was just like, I mean, yeah, that's kind of like, it's been what, like two, three weeks maybe, and you're already engaged, but what do you do when? That's a strange move, you know? Yeah, and I mean, it's so funny because at their engagement party, he doesn't even act like he likes her. <laughs> yeah, not really. Which is very strange. I don't even know. Yeah, that that's well, it's like I understand that you know, I guess to keep more in line with the story, um they kind of needed that Edward is suddenly unattainable to Nora kind of moment, but it just seemed like a weird choice to have them be engaged. Yeah. And to not just have her find out that he's dating someone. Sure. And also, and, and I get that this worked out for her, but I just want to say in general, like, I'm not a fan of those plot points where, like, somebody's on the verge of getting married or engaged and you decide at that point to, like, declare your love for that person. <laughs> you know? And, and, and like, like I'm saying, I, I agree that it worked out for her in this particular movie, but I feel like that's a trope that you see a lot. It's just, mm-hmm. like, if somebody is getting engaged, that means the relationship is pretty serious. And if you go and confess your, your love to somebody when they're in this serious relationship, like, I'm so, like you missed your chance. Like, I'm sorry. You missed your chance. Like, mm-hmm. I'm not, like, don't throw a wrench into the relationship like that. You know? Yeah. And yeah. now, yeah. if you... 
if you jump in because you're like this person is actually a hor like a horrible person and I think you're throwing your life away, that's one thing. But if you're just kind of being on on the more selfish side, I would say that I would rethink your priorities there. Sure. Yeah. I I feel like I definitely don't disagree. I was just thinking of this as just like another like you were saying. This is pretty tropey for a rom rom com. And so I guess I wasn't necessarily like poking too many holes in watching this for the fourth time um, in that move. But it is a strange way for, I don't know, I guess Nora or Eleanor of the movie to come into like, oh, JK, I really like this person. I should do something about it. Yeah. There have been a lot of other choices to be made to get to that point. Yeah, I don't know. It was just, it was kind of weird. The sisters, I guess this movie, they have a different name than, I I don't guess. I know that they have a different name. <laughs> the Dashwood sisters, the Domingo sisters instead. Yeah, how similar they're, they're on different ways of not thinking about their actions were very similar to the, the dad. Mm. I like it though. Yeah, because I think, you know, just with the dad, the way that whomever that was explained to them after he dies, it was just like, oh, your father didn't necessarily think he was all about, um, I don't know, gambling almost with his money. And that just kind of left him with uh, a debt, a huge debt. So that was just kind of like a, you know very senseless action and I think the senseless actions are similar to at least Mary's character of just like going in with not the best of inactions <laughs> and then you know Nora's character is very much of like very much sensible action because everybody else around her is not necessarily being sensible so she kind of has to counteract that a little bit yeah I mean but I will say like she she seems to counteract it in in almost like like she goes too far on the other end of the spectrum because it's clear she really likes Edward and it's also clear that you know he really likes her but she pushes him away because, like, she's got this plan and, by God, she's sticking to it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, even though her life, like, has been really thrown into this uncertainty, like, there's still a rigidity about her that she doesn't really learn how to let go of until, I mean, she finds out that he's engaged. Sure. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I feel like there was another scene that I was curious about, like in terms of her and Edward still kind of getting to know each other. And he comes by with like the truck of things, rich people things, as the aunt's friend or the other aunt describes it as, which I thought was hilarious. But um, he like comes by with a whole ass truck of stuff. And um, he, like, comes over and checks in with her. And Nora's just like, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of like a cockroach. 
I'm adaptable and I'm able to survive. And I thought that was really interesting for this character to describe herself as that. And I'm not sure if I actually agree in terms of like canon Eleanor. I think it's just more of like a logical, we need to do this in order to survive, which maybe is what I see in this adaptation, but I was really intrigued by the, the description of a cockroach. I'm not sure how I feel about that, I guess. Yeah, I, yeah, and I I don't know, like, <laughs> I kind of got the feeling that the, she was saying that because she didn't necessarily know what else to say, you know? Like, he's thrown her off by being there. That's not something that she expected. Sure. Um. But yeah, I I agree. I I thought that that was a weird kind of a weird thing to say. I mean, I do think she's adaptable. You know, like she's she's the first one to really start embracing the culture. She dresses up in like the traditional Mexican dress for the Independence Day celebration, and you know, takes shots of tequila. <laughs> And her, like, I think it's her aunt's friend is like, oh, she was born to drink tequila. And I'm like, that's, <laughs> yeah. that's a weird thing for an aunt to say, but okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, so I think, I think that she is adaptable in a certain sense, but yeah, I don't, a cockroach is such a weird, cause you kind of imagine them like, you know, as not killable. Um, and I think. Nora definitely has kind of a breakdown, you know, especially when she finds out Edward is is engaged, and I'm just not sure that that's cockroach-like behavior. (laughs) If that makes any sense. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like that's pretty true. I don't know. Nora and Edward's relationship even starts off as just kind of like a... I don't know, an interesting flirtatious-esque back and forth about marijuana legalization of it, which I think was really hilarious and intriguing. Yeah, that was, uh, they immediately get into a debate, and uh, I was like, oh, this is, I thought that was pretty cute. I mean, yeah, I I think it came about because... uh, you know, she opened the door accusing her sister of smoking marijuana without checking that it was actually her sister first. Um, which, and then we see her in the park getting high with her friend. So it wasn't like an unba- like it wasn't like an opinion based to nothing, you know? Like she definitely knows her sister pretty well. Yeah. Which just yeah. all makes the whole, you know, horror comment. I don't know, even even more kind of I don't know. I guess I guess the term that I would use for that is disappointing. Um yeah. <clears throat> yeah. It's disappointing. I don't know. Just like I don't know. You know, I work with young children, preschoolers, and I, I say this a lot to them and I'll just say it to, you know, these characters in general, like, y'all using your words to hurt other people is not going to help. You know, it's not gonna help. Yeah, it's really it's the actions that speak louder than words, which is something that this this movie really echoes. You know, Mm -hmm. like um, I think especially in the character of like 
the Colonel Brandon character, which yeah. is played by Wilder Valderrama and the entire movie. I could not take him seriously as that character because all I could see when I was seeing him on screen was Fez from that 70s show. I was like, <laughs> where's his accent? You know? I was like, where, where's Donna and the gang? <laughs> Where is everybody? <laughs> like, what? What is this? But, I mean, I do have to say, like, I think he did a good job with the role. He mm. was very, I don't know, I think Colonel Brandon in the book is a lot more, like, tender in yeah. a way. Like, um, Bruno, who's, what's the name of the character in this movie, was a lot more standoffish and, like, antagonistic. But, like, you see him in the middle of the night. He goes over to Mary's car and fixes her broken side mirror. You know? Yeah, he does. tries to make that party beautiful for her. Brings her these birds of paradise flowers. And when she gets into that car accident, which I want to talk about, um, <laughs> he gets her a ramp overnight. And we see he's painted the birds of um paradise on it yeah you know just the cutest yeah i know i was like and then he shows up to that party i'm like damn like you clean up good yeah he does. <laughs> so true yeah but yeah and it like that the scene after he like sees um mary and uh rodrigo dancing he like sees them you know salsaing I guess and just like looks so sad and then has this moment where Mary's just like oh yeah I owe you a dance you made this beautiful he's like nah I've lost the game and I was just like oof yeah and that scene that scene was really weird to me because we've seen like because after that after and then after Nora has that huge thing with Edward where she kisses him and mm-hmm. she's drunk, right? <laughs> she's and pretty drunk, yeah. She's like a three or four shots of tequila in and she makes this decision that, you know, she later regrets, but um they're sitting outside when the fireworks are going off and the party's kind of over and you know, they're having this kind of heart to heart. And and it was a little bit strange for me because we didn't really see them interact before that. But mm. um, he's like, you know, says something about playing a game. You know you're going to lose. And then she says, and sometimes you leave a game, you know you're going to win. And he just kind of looks over at her and is like, I wouldn't leave that game. <laughs> I know it was supposed to be kind of a poignant movie or a poignant moment, but I was just like, you know what? You're right. You were right, Wilder Valderrama. <laughs> yeah. Um, You're not wrong, bud. Yeah. But I don't know. I just thought that, I, like, part of me liked that scene because it kind of showed vulnerability in a character we hadn't seen before. But at the same time, it's like, it, romance shouldn't be a game to anyone. You know, like, these are, you shouldn't be viewing like relationships with people as a game and I get that it was a metaphor but it was just something that I I felt 
little weird about, you sure. know, talking about trying to to win Mary's heart. When at the same time, it was like, you know, looking at it as this third party viewer of this movie, we get that he likes her, but he's super antagonistic towards her. So I'm like, <laughs> Why would she pick you over mm. this guy that's been reading poetry to her yeah. and has been, like, romancing her, you know? Like, at that point, I didn't really get the feeling that she or that he had the right to kind of be upset that she had picked this other guy. Especially because it wasn't like, like, in, in, in the traditional, like, in the book and in tr- more traditional adaptations, when she gets with Willoughby, she kind of distances herself from the from Colonel Brandon. But mm. in this movie, she's like, okay, I owe you a dance. Let's do it, you know? Sure. She's not, she, she's not treating him any differently. Um, and he's the one that treats her differently, and she's she's confused by it because... She, she doesn't really think they're friends, but, you know, he's somebody from the neighborhood that she kind of appreciates his presence, you know? Yeah. Well, she doesn't, she doesn't. I feel like they have a really weird relationship for a good 90% of this movie where they just kind of, like, I don't know, antagonize each other, I guess, is the right way to say it. I don't disagree with that. Of... You know, she's always like, why is he here? And, like, doesn't trust him a lot of the time. And then, I don't even know. It's it's obvious to, yeah, I would say it's also obvious to me as another third party of, like, oh, this person likes you. But the way that he's showing it for a lot of the movie is just, like, kind of making fun of her a lot of the time. Not into that vibe. Yeah, kind of like that pulling pigtails kind of way that, mm. like, honestly, no, no. <laughs> that's that's your idea of showing romantic interest. You need to examine your life and examine your choices because you should not be trying to start a relationship off like that. Yeah, no, uh, you, are, you are wrong. Yeah, so. doesn't, doesn't matter. Doesn't doesn't matter who you are, you're wrong. Yeah, nope, don't do it. Um. But yeah, I mean, I, I I do think it starts to change before the party because she goes over and is, like, interested in what he's working on, you know? Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, going back to that, that, like, I I don't know if I would get that he likes her if I didn't see him constantly watching her from across the street or, yeah. like, going over in the middle of the night to fix the car mirror, you know? Right. I think that that scene for me and maybe other people watching this is like oh this person is like actually doing something that will benefit this other person like we see that we actually you actually care about Mary my gosh amazing and I guess also just like him causing her from like starting the car that won't start he's like yo don't do that you're gonna die please stop so I can help you um he does have like these little moments where he's like actually I'm a real cool person and just does it in a weird way not into it a lot of the time but is a very sweet person because he makes a whole ass rent helps her out with the car 
my gosh. You have good qualities about you, but, but a lot of the time we do not see that until strange times, I guess. Well, yeah, and I, and I think really the most romantic part about that ramp thing is he stays up all night making it and then paints it too, <laughs> you know, like totally unnecessarily. It's a functional ramp without the paint, you know, and he, he paints like the, the birds of paradise flowers onto it. Yeah. Um, and she she recognizes that. And I think she's like, oh, maybe maybe this is a thing. And she goes over there. And this kind of annoyed me. I thought it was cute, but it was also annoying, like, where she's like, if I wasn't in this stupid neck brace and in a wheelchair, I would kiss you. And he's like, typical Mary, can't do anything on your own. And I was like, dude, she literally can't get up. (laughs) She cannot get up without injuring herself. She was just T-boned and, like, was in a coma. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like, calm it down, y'all. Yeah. And I, that was like a really weird twist for me, but I mean like at the same time I get it narratively because it shows the brother like really coming together. It shows that you know the they're they're not fighting anymore because Nora's super concerned and she's there by her bedside and, and she's like screaming at Mary to get up before her <laughs> aunt and her friend kill her by pouring wax all over her face. <laughs> like was- trying to like pray and like I don't know it was like they were trying to exercise the demon at some point there was like sage and I was like what is going on um I mean to be fair it works like she wakes up but um I think it was just this really this really weird but also sweet moment where you see the family really coming together and then they come home and you know Mary's just kind of had her heart broken because she's realized that uh, Rodrigo has been married and that she didn't know this and so she was in a relationship with a married man um, and I think you know seeing her family there with her just kind of I think that's really the turning point she starts to appreciate you know her her family for what they really are which is her family my gosh amazing so this is something that I was wondering about, and it seems like you think that Rodrigo was already married. I wasn't actually sure about that, if he had actually gone to Mexico and, like, married somebody within that time that he was away, or he was actually married the whole time and was just, like, having this, I don't know, little romantic tryst with Mary. Thoughts? So, yeah, I guess the reason, because I was confused, too, when we were first introduced to him as, or we were first introduced to her as his wife. Mm -hmm. Um, But the reason why I think they were already married really stems from a comment she made where, like, she was like, I didn't want to move to L.A., but, like, this house convinced me to. Which was obviously painful for Mary to hear because she had given Rodrigo the address. But I think, like, to me, that made it sound like they had been in, like, a long-distance relationship. Mm-hmm. And he was in L.A. at this university being a T.A., getting a degree. And she didn't want to come with him, so she had stayed in Mexico. 
Um, but then, you know, he finally managed to talk her over for whatever reason. Um, so that's kind of my interpretation of it. I don't know if it's the correct one since it's kind of still left ambiguous. Sure. If he really did go to Mexico to just get married, but I think at the very least they had been in a relationship before that. Um, just from the way she kind of talks about not wanting to move to LA with him, but then him finding this house for them and her being kind of like, you know, wooed by it. Yeah, sure. Yeah. I don't know. I guess I had always read it as just like, he just came back with a wife, but I find it very intriguing that if he was married the whole time, that really is such a swarmy douche ass move. Yeah. Well, I mean, and and that's kind of fitting with, I don't know, like, I I knew he was Willoughby the minute he walked in the room because he kind of reminded me a little bit of the character in the Bollywood film, I Have Found It, Um, because he Mm -hmm. kind of did feel that smarmy. He obviously wasn't a finance guy, but, like, he likes to flaunt his wealth, you know, he drives a Mercedes. And he's constantly quoting poetry to Mary. And (laughs) so I was just like, oh, my God, how is this going to play out? And then I wasn't even surprised when he was like, oh, yeah, this is my wife. I was like, this is like mirroring. This is like mirroring the Bollywood film, like almost to a T, because this is exactly this is exactly what happens. Except like there's no there's no real resolution with that you know, and I kind of wish there was, like, he showed up at the hospital or whatever, and, uh, you know, Nora told him to get, get out. Yeah. Um, I wish that had happened, but honestly, if I had to choose between that happening or the brother coming, I would have picked the brother coming. Yeah, Yeah. I, I like the brother coming a lot more than, I don't know, the Willoughby character, the adaptation of him coming and being like, ooh, poor me, I had to, no, I never pity that moment. I'm just no. like, bye, leave. So, go. So, yeah, I I, I only ever appreciate that moment for Eleanor's response, which is always like, get out. Like, yeah, sure. Um, leave. Yeah. But it, it is really cute how the brother, like, he reads these letters and kind of from his dad, who didn't actually try and abandon him. It was just like what his mom said. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he's like, this is my family. I need to be there for them. And leaves his wife because of it. Which isn't, like, a huge hardship because she's an awful person. But, you know. No, a great person. We, we see the ending scene where, like, Nora and Edward are getting married. And he's there. Yeah, he is. That's and so cute. Yeah, it is just a really cute moment where, you know, he's, he's part of it. He's dancing. With all the, you know, the Tia's and the, you know, the janitors that they've won the case for. <laughs> um, which I thought that in itself was a whole thing. But I, th- I really liked the ending. Um, definitely thought they rushed into marriage too soon. But in terms of just seeing how happy everyone was, uh, I really enjoyed it. Sure. I mean, just like, yeah, the whole ending in general. Ugh, we can talk a while about that. <laughs> He's like, by the house across the street, like he had mentioned 
before and like comes up in a giant truck to get I don't know comes over to the house in general Nora comes out and he's, she's like what's happening he's like I'll sign these deeds to this house and I'm like oh boy bud and like he has somehow bought this house with both of their names on the deed I guess already just like a whole ass gesture just to be like I love you and the rest of your life with me cool thanks bye I know and then she does it and I'm just like this is not (laughs) this is not like listen I know she's kind of discovered to like let her emotions in but man that is a 180 if I've ever seen it she just buys a house with this dude they haven't even been dating you know they just know each other and they buy a house and then he's like oh yeah you can pick the master bedroom i'm like okay not your bedroom the master bedroom master bedroom (laughs) yeah where your office is i was just like bud (laughs) that's like pushing in at like 150 (laughs) percent yeah i kind of like wonder if this is like the modern day equivalent of Colonel Brandon giving Marianne a whole ass piano, you know? (laughs) (laughs) It says a whole ass house. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, it is very cute and I like it a lot, but also just like, whoa, man, what a way to like start in in that relationship. Yeah, yeah, it is super funny. I I, honestly, I would be extremely concerned if somebody I knew in real life did this. But (laughs) at the same time, we have to remember this is a rom-com, you know, and all the tropes, none of this would really work in real life. But if you want a movie that's like, oh, God, how long is it? Um, I'm looking at it. Hours. It's an hour and 47 minutes long. So if you want, you know, a movie that is an hour and 47 minutes long to kind of just forget about your problems for a while, (laughs) this is a movie that I would I would recommend. And it was so funny because I was like comparing it to Material Girls, like in certain parts. Mm -hmm. And I think there are I feel like ridiculous saying this but I think there were parts of material girls that I I actually liked better um but yeah I for the most part I I would recommend this movie over any of the other modern adaptations we've seen except for the Bollywood film because that was amazing (laughs) (laughs) that was a that was an experience more than a movie I think the Bollywood one Yeah, like, I really, I kind of want to watch it again, but I also need more time to process the emotions, like, that I felt watching it. (laughs) Like, I can't just jump into it again. I have to mentally prepare myself for the experience. Um, But this this movie was super cute and and just, like, like, like we mentioned earlier, just, like, a celebration of Latinx culture. And uh, I, I just, it was such a joy to see because that's not really something that you see quite often I feel like the the Latinx movies that we've seen more and I think I think that's that's starting to change but they're all kind of dramas about you know immigration or you know whatever like serious issues 
people think are going on in the community. And this is just like a lighthearted rom-com. Yeah, I I really love rom-coms. I've said this before, probably on other podcasts of ours. But this is just like such a, I don't know, it's fun. And if you're looking for, yeah, I would agree. If you're looking for an hour and 47 minutes where you just kind of like get invested in this world of lighthearted Latinx culture and a rom-com adaptation of or uh, Sense and Sensibility. I almost said Pride and Pride this well. Um, then you're not, in the right place. Not quite yet. We're not there yet. But yeah, I just, uh, I don't know. I, I'm a fan. I'm a big fan. Like, like I said, I, I think I like certain aspects of Material Girls more um, than I liked this, but I, they were very few and far between. Like, I think the relationship between the sisters was better paced, you mm, know? Sure. Like, like, we see them getting annoyed with each other and then fighting instead of going from, like, zero to 60, um, which is what it feels like when when they have that one conversation where um, Nora calls... Nora calls her sister that name, and I was just sitting there like, oh, boy, okay, that's where we are now. That's all right, all right. Um, but, yeah, and I think, I don't know. That's really, I guess, the only thing that I can really think of that I thought Material Girls did better, just because I think Material Girls was also, like, a kind of a satire of a certain type of um like genre now that I'm really looking back on it like it's just so over the top and ridiculous and (laughs) and I was actually reading like more reviews and apparently they intended for it to be kind of like a spoof on the simple life you know that reality tv (laughs) show with Nicole Richie and uh, Paris Hilton yeah and I and I think now that I'm I'm really thinking about it, like, I buy that, you know? Like, all the ridiculousness of that movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I definitely enjoyed From Prada to Nada more. Um, oh, yeah. Definitely. Thanks. Yeah. If you're going to... If you want to watch a modern adaptation of Sense and Sensibility that is not a Bollywood movie, um, <laughs> pick From Prada to Nada... I don't know. I haven't seen Sense and Sensibility, which is the movie that we're going to be watching for next time. But honestly, at this point, I can't imagine a better modern adaptation being done of this movie. Um, like all the issues I had with it, notwithstanding. Yeah, I I really enjoy it. I feel like this this movie to me is just like, if you're looking for an adaptation of Jane Austen that is very much uh, lighthearted and filled with people of color, then this is your place to look other than, again, the Bollywood movie. Why not get into it? It's fun. I think uh, another thing that I kind of wanted to mention, and I don't know if there's a whole lot to say, about it but I just kind of want it on record that another thing that I really appreciated is like 
the opening song that plays <laughs> during the opening credits is California Girls by Katy Perry. I feel like my personal anthem being somebody from California. <laughs> Not necessarily because I really like Katy Perry, but just because I feel like that song speaks to, you know, my Californian, not really my Californian experience, but I just appreciate that there's a song about California girls. Uh, that isn't the Beach Boys. Um, <laughs> but, like, there's all these songs that are all, like, American top 40 in the beginning half of the film. Mm-hmm. And then when their feelings about their culture start to change, it starts becoming all, like, Spanish songs. Yeah, I was going to bring that up, too, in terms of how the the music, and this is something we bring up in other um, recordings and adaptations, how the music can or cannot uh, be indicative of the movie itself and how things change in the movie. I really enjoyed the fact that um, I had forgotten it started with Katy Perry. And I was like, oh, boy, all right, here we go. Um, but I really liked how, yeah, in the in the beginning parts of the movie, it was very much like Americanized culture because that's where they were identifying. And then as the movie progresses in that, in their hearts and their minds and their how they're moving through the world changes, the music of the background becomes a lot more Mexican inspired and Spanish based. And I really like that. Yeah, I mean, and and correct me if I'm wrong, if I'm misremembering this, but I think the band at Eleanor and Edward's wedding is a mariachi band. Sounds uh, mariachi to me. I, <laughs> I was just like, yes. <laughs> Although, I will say it was super weird to have them at the dad's funeral. <laughs> I was like, I don't know. <laughs> Because, like, I guess, and maybe this is just me as a white person, but I, I usually, like, equate mariachi bands with, like, you know, happy times, you sure. know? Like, I've never heard a mariachi band where I wasn't like, yes, this is putting me in a good mood. I'm happy for the existence of this, you know? Because I, I used to live in Chicago, um, and I lived pretty close to a Latinx neighborhood and so whenever I'd like go over and there was a holiday and there would be a celebration in the park I'd always kind of like to just stand there and like let the music wash over me for a minute or two um I always felt happy about it I never felt like oh god this is a funeral going on (laughs) like (laughs) but yeah I don't know maybe that's just because I'm, I'm like a white person looking in and not someone who's part of that that culture yeah I don't know as a fellow white person I I feel like I definitely cannot nor should not speak to that I mean I guess my my theory with the mariachi band being at the father's funeral is just that um continued narrative of uh the sisters speaking before about like oh our father was Mexican we're American I think both of them say that in different ways. And I think maybe the mariachi band was like just one way to have the narrative reinforce that 
we are coming from this place and then eventually we go back to that um i don't know just one thought for y'all's thoughts so here's here's something that i was wondering about about the the letters to the i don't know if estranged is the right word or secret the secret or estranged brother gabe um I'm, I've always wondered why the letters were not sent or returned back. And I was curious if you had any, any theories about that happening or not happening. Yeah, I mean, so my guess would be just as somebody who has counseled a lot of um, women who have been in relationships and have been cheated on. Mm-hmm. A mental health professional. Um, mm-hmm. My guess is that because their dad had this affair when he was married and he chose to not leave his wife, mm-hmm. I think his mistress was pretty bitter about that, especially after she had a child. Sure. Um, and so I'm what I'm guessing is that he sent those letters and she saw him sending them and returned them because she's like, if you're not going to leave your wife for me, I don't want to have anything to do with you. And kind of made that decision for her son, too. Which I could be completely wrong, but I, I don't know. That's just, that's that would be my guess. Um, yeah. Especially if he wrote them while, I mean, kids generally don't tend to go get the mail. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I I very rarely did in my own house. So, yeah, true. So yeah, I mean, I I guess that's just that that would be my my guess. Like I said, I don't know if it's right or not, but um, yeah, that is that is what I would think. Sure. Fair. Yeah, I guess my my conception was kind of similar in the terms of like either the um, the caregiver or the mom or whomever was looking after. Gabe growing up either sent them back or my other theories were like maybe they moved um yeah I don't know I was just curious to see what you were thinking about that yeah and I mean the moving theory is is totally valid and possible um but yeah I don't I don't know I just because the the mom was like oh your father abandoned us you know what I mean Mm mm-hmm sure yeah, so I don't I don't know. That's just my feeling. The whole thing. Why is Rodrigo at Edward's engagement party? I've never mentioned oh, this before. In my I, now I am. Why are you there? So I have an answer. I don't know how satisfactory it's gonna be for you. Yeah. Um, but I think it's because they bought the house. I guess, yes, I don't know. I I hear you in that explanation because that's the only thing that I was thinking about is just like, is it just because he's bought this house and somehow, I don't know, him buying the house has led him to get this invitation? I don't know. That seems like a really weird answer, though. Yeah, and and I completely agree with you, but I think that, like, Olivia their their brother's you know ex-wife or whatever um Mm -hmm. 
I think she's the type of person that's like, oh, you have money? You are going to be my friend now. <laughs> you um, now. Yeah, so that that's the only reason that I could really think of um, that I thought was plausible in any way, shape, or form. Because, like, I don't think, you know, his, his wife is obviously new from Mexico, um, and he's been a TA at a university, so I don't... I don't think their paths would have ever crossed, really, um, unless they met while they were purchasing the house. Right. Yeah. I suppose. So, yeah, I mean, that's my answer. I don't know how satisfactory it is, but that's that's what I think. Right. I don't know. It's not super satisfactory, but I guess it answers the question. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, I guess this just kind of leads back to how we always wish we could sit down, like, the screenwriters and the actors and actresses and just be like, hey, what's up? (laughs) Uh, What what are we doing out here? Tell me more about this. Yeah, I don't know. It could have just been, like, a convenient place and space for everything to keep moving on that org, you know? Yeah, and I mean, I think I think it was definitely that, but I there still needed to kind of be a reason, you know. <laughs> sure. But I, I guess, and that actually kind of reminds me of one of the other issues I had with this movie, is that like Mary is so upset that she just runs off and leaves her sister behind, and I was like, the whole reason you're at that party is for your sister. Your sister, sure. Like, and I get that she's super emotional, but I I feel like at this this point in their relationship, like I feel like she would have gone to her sister and been like, "We need to leave now." Mm. Um, but then I guess she her sister would have been in the car crash with her, and that would have messed up the whole thing with her picking Bruno and. But at the same time, I was just like, I don't know. I feel like there could have been a better way to handle this. I don't know. Oh, yeah. I don't know. It made sense to me in the same vein that it ever makes sense to me that Marianne just, like, goes out into most often out of many adaptations, the, like, pouring rain and just, like, feels feelings. So I guess this was maybe, like, a modern twist on that of, like, I just need to go and drive and then just, like, runs a freaking red light and gets hit, you know? It's, like, not the best answer to the feelings, but an answer that I can kind of understand. Yeah, and I totally get that. I'm just like, um, your sister is getting her heart broken, so maybe you want to check in on her a little bit. I'll check in on her. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, like, and and... and you know, I get her wanting to leave and and be away, but I think what what I would have done if I were the screenwriter, which I clearly was not, um, <laughs> clearly is have her like storm off in the rain. You know what I mean? Like not even bother trying to drive, and then not really looking where she was going and hit get hit that way. Um, sure, but I guess death. Death would have been a lot more plausible in that scene, too. So, I don't know. What I'm realizing through watching all these adaptations is that it's hard <laughs> trying to try to do an adaptation of a book that was written, you know, over 200 years ago. 
not yeah. trying to bring it to modern times because there's a lot of plot devices that Jane Austen uses that do not translate into the modern world, you know? Sure. That's true. Yeah, there is, it is hard to adapt a lot of Jane Austen things in general, but also especially to the modern world. There's just like, there's so much to work with and there's people, you know, for instance, like us that like are kind of critical at like, what they choose to include and not to include in the adaptations. Yeah, but I do just want to say, because I've been seeing this debate going around the internet quite a bit, um, about the BBC has a new TV series based on Sanditon. Yeah, they do. And one of the complaints is that it's not true to the novel. And I want to say... Well, it was, yeah, okay, first of all, she never finished it, so I don't know what they're on about, but second of all, um, when when we critique these adaptations, you know, the fact that they're not following the book to the T, I don't think that's ever a problem that we have, you know, like, we're looking at these adaptations as movies and miniseries that we enjoy watching, you okay. know? And I think the issues that we have are more with not necessarily how they adapt the material, but the pacing and, you know, and, and, and how they're building the relationships, obviously following the book to a T, like none of them have really, really followed the exact formula, but we're more looking at the believability of it. So if if you're listening to this and you're having that same thought of, well, you know, they're it, you know, who who cares if these adaptations are, are true to the story or not? Like, we're not we're not looking at that literally. We're looking more of at the spirit of things. And uh, I mean that that's the thing I think is that you know all of them have had elements of being true to the heart of the novel. Yeah. Um, there have been maybe a couple of exceptions to that, but, um, I mean, we're really, we're really just in this for the enjoyment of it. We're not doing it to be giving scholarly critiques (laughs) because neither of us are really Jane Austen scholars, unfortunately, and maybe amateur ones, but like. Very much amateur ones. I would definitely agree. Neither of us have a degree in Jane Austen. Um, no, I mean I have a English literature degree, but that's that's the closest we're gonna get. Oh, same. I also have a literature degree, so. But Jane Austen was definitely not the only book I read. No, no, not at all. Yeah, I would agree. I'm I'm very much in it, into like really curious about you know how they adapt and the relationships that are canon and also not canon just seeing like where is the spirit of Jane Austen in this and how do we feel about you know how that translates or doesn't translate in different ways well is there anything else you wanted to bring up oh let's see um so this is maybe a curiosity so at the end um Edward is giving the whole ass house and says, um, oh gosh, something along the lines of like, my heart has 
hasn't always been yours. And I feel like that to me sounded really similar to the 1995 version of Declaration of Love. Um, did you have that correlation or is that just a Jules's brain makes a link that may not be there? No, I think honestly, like that really did harken back to the 1995 movie, but I think it also harkened back to the like 2000 and what was it? Eight, seven adaptation. Um, 2008. 2008, the 2008 adaptation when he's proposing where he says, you know, like I've, I've never been able to say this, but now I can, and I love you. Mm -hmm. And I think that is that just kind of like, Edward has already put his life or his love on the table for her when they first kiss and is like, I want to do all this with you. Yeah. Uh, but I like, thought it was like a very enjoyable, delightful scene. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, no, and, and then she kind of is like, I can't do this because I she's super. Like, I wonder how that scene would have gone if she hadn't taken those like three or four shots of tequila. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, the scene, I don't know if it would have happened if she had taken some shots of tequila, you know? Yeah, like maybe if she had taken just like the one, maybe, <laughs> but I don't know, we're never going to know. But yeah, no, I, I definitely did think that, you know, Edward's character, he was a lot more forward with his feelings than he, he's been in the past, but... True. Um, I, I do know that scene completely reminded me of his previous proposal scenes where he just, he says that he loves her, um, and that he's always loved her and she just is so happy Yeah, that she doesn't really have anything to say <laughs> other than to kiss him. Other than to kiss him, which is fun. Yeah. I mean, sometimes that's all you can do to declarations of love is just kiss the person. Kiss that person. Yeah. yeah. Unless you don't want them to be declaring their love to you, in which case don't don't kiss that person. But you know. This was clearly something she was wanting. So <laughs> Yeah. You can call uh, you know, Elizabeth Bennett and be like, nah son, peace, peace, peace. <laughs> yeah. He was like, um, rather die an old maid things. <laughs> can you bite you? Um, okay, so the quote from the movie this week. It comes from Nora Dominguez, um, and it's actually from the scene, I think, um, if I'm remembering correctly, where she turns down Edward um, and says, I avoid relationships because I can't count on them. Um, and I think this just kind of, in terms of, of what we've seen, in the movie, you know, they couldn't count on their relationship with their dad because he left them penniless. Mm -hmm. And they couldn't count on their relationship with their brother and sister-in-law, even though at first they were like, you can stay here as long as you want. And then the sister-in-law was like, change my mind. <laughs> um, and then they, can't, they kind of can't count on their relationship with each other because they get into that fight and they just, you know, Nora says this horrible thing about her sister. And then, like, <laughs> Mary can't count on her relationship with Rodrigo for obvious reasons. And then Nora can't rely on her relationship with Edward because after they have that falling out, when she rejects him, he transfers her and, you know, doesn't tell her. And 
you know, she realizes that's not what she wants, so she quits. Um, yeah, so I just think that that's, that's really a theme throughout this movie. I guess we didn't really touch on it too much, but we have touched on the various relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I think that that to me is very much of like the Nora storyline that you were describing there of like, I can't count on all these people because uh, they're unreliable in different ways, or I think that they are unreliable and they may or may not be true. I think that also um, that quote of like, I don't trust relationships also speaks to a lot of other things of, of this movie in terms of like how Mary is interacting with uh, Rodrigo at first of like, we we have this relationship, but I don't think there's any necessarily like trust in that other than just like trusting in a, a person that may or may not bring you like this conception of like financial state stability and um, maybe love, but maybe not. I don't know. There's, there's more to it than just that one storyline, which I really appreciate about this movie, like the trust and not trust. And then coming back into that, of let's build a trusting relationship with each other, a conception. Yeah. Yeah, and I do, I, that's why I also I think I appreciate that end scene so much is because we just see them all happy and hanging out and mm-hmm. and that's really what, what I like to see, you know, in in a movie is a happy ending. I'm not, I'm not in these movies for real life. I mean, every <laughs> every movie I watch, I'm not in for real life, you know, because I get enough of that in my job. I get enough of that in my personal life and I want, you know, something that I can just remember. There are good things in the world, you know. <laughs> and maybe sometimes they only take place in movies, but they, they are out there. It's okay. We just have, like, one hope in this world, and it comes from romantic comedies and Jane Austen adaptations. It's not going to take it away from us. Yeah. So... On a scale of Olivia's character to the to the sheer joy of the family, you know, the center of the the family theme of the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, what would you give this? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um. At least a solid six out of ten for me. Six out of ten. Edward is giving a full house. (laughs) (laughs) I think one thing I will mention about that, I completely agree with you, but it's also a legal clinic. (laughs) Yeah. A whole slash legal clinic. Uh, Yeah. Amazing. So next time, we will be watching the movie um, Sense and Sensibility. And when I say sense, I mean sense as in S-C-E-N-T-S, <laughs> like, which will be interesting. Um, it's like a Hallmark movie, and I'm so excited. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
I have uh, a very soft spot for Hallmark movies, so there might be a lot of bias coming into this. Have you ever seen this one before? I don't know if I have. It's uh-huh. possible. So I'm just going to read a really brief synopsis. It's also That's from cute. 2011. Um, but... It's the synopsis on IMDb is two sisters find that they have to make their own way in the world after their father is jailed. Eleanor is a cleaner in a spa. Marianne works for a marketing company, but also makes scented lotions, which turn out to be a real winner. Oh, my gosh. All right. Okay. Let's do it. Uh, you can find us at the Austin Archives on Facebook, on the Tumblr, on the Instagram, which I need to update, but that's really just a mental note for me. And where else? On um, anywhere that you can find the podcast and podcasts in general including and not limited to Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, Anchor, and all of those places at once. Um, we are, is it austin.adaptations or the austin.adaptations at gmail? It, it is just austin.adaptations at gmail. There you go. So austin.adaptations at gmail.com if you want to reach out to us and say hi or tell us any comments, concerns, or queries that you might have. Uh, You can also leave us any voice messages on the Anchor app, which would be really cool if you all would do that. So, I don't know, Sophia and I know that we're Continuing to not talk into a void of just ourselves. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, I see the play count. No people are listening, but uh, <laughs> we want to hear from you, you know? Yeah. I don't know. Maybe tell us what you really enjoy about Jane Austen or uh, any adaptations that you particularly like. Or or if you or if you think we've even missed some, I mean we're we're going off of whatever we could find on the internet, but you know, we are we're not inflappable. I'm sure there may have been some things we missed. So if there is one we missed, let us know and we'll try and, and get it in there so we can we can watch it and, and give it a, a thorough talking of. <laughs> or at least a, a talking about. Yeah, try it. Be, but we'll try. Yeah, yeah, which is really, I think, all you can ask of a person is to try. <laughs> so true. 